0: Hey Everybody and welcome to the Android Central podcast. It's Friday, September 27th, 2019. My name is Daniel Bader, managing editor of androidcentral.com on the internet. Joining me this week, Andrew Martinick. How are you? I am hanging in there. It's been You're a week. You're doing okay. It's been a it's been a week for you. It's <laughs> yeah, been, it's it's been for a everyone. it's been a couple days for, uh, extra. Yeah, extra. For you. And uh, speaking of extra, welcome back to the show, Hayato Hussman. Yeet.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, all, that's all I got. I, I you see go, your just... yeet supreme emoji in my mind whenever you say that. <laughs> uh, Hayato's also
1: had a week. I have. I'm. Yeah. Uh, man, yesterday I was just running on fumes and very, very little sleep. But uh, you know, it was worth it.
0: I think that is the theme of tech reporting, journalism, reviewing this time of year. Everybody's running on fumes. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, I had about f- two hours of sleep la- uh, the night before last because I, um, I was in meetings all week and then uh, meetings in New York and then I had to review the OnePlus 7T, which uh, you did as well, but uh, in flashy, beautifully lit video format. Go watch it. We'll talk about that phone and a couple other things later in the show. But uh, before that, we uh, are going to talk a little bit about some products that we uh, want to follow up with from last week, the iPhone 11 Pro and the Note 10 Plus, which you reviewed on uh, on YouTube as well. Uh, and then some Mate 30 Pro stuff because there's some news there. Interesting. Uh, we weren't sure whether Google Apps were, were going to be supported on it. And lo and behold, Alex Doby, our uh, gunner-wearing hacker extraordinaire, is uh he he pulled it through and and was was able to get google apps installed on there so we'll talk about that in a minute and then later on in the show we'll talk about the new how many products did amazon announce like
2: 27 28 i think the count uh, is less ridiculous than that but still absurd i think it was like 13 or 14
0: yeah amazon had its annual throw everything at the wall and see what sticks event and uh there's some really interesting announcements so uh stay tuned for that but let's start, Hayato, um, with iPhone 11 Pro versus Note 10. You did a video on this. Um, you were in New York with, uh, with Renee, with Michael. They all did videos. Um, you were focusing specifically on comparing the iPhone hardware to the Note 10. Um, what was your take on that? And after you know a week or so of the phone being released, and I promise we won't spend the whole time talking about iPhone again. Um, what's, what's your impression of, of, of how it did from, from a camera perspective?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to compare. Um, you always have to kind of, you know, tread lightly when you're comparing iPhones versus any kind of Android, because obviously people are going to take their sides and be very firm in it. But if we're, if we're just looking at the cameras themselves, I really, really like the iPhone camera, uh, this year. And most of the time, like with the with the ten and even the 10S, I thought they were like, they were good cameras, but I didn't love them outside of, I do really like Apple's color science. Um, but this year I feel like they really caught up with a lot of the top tier Android makers and pitting it against the Note 10. I think they both do different things better than the other. Um, I really, really like the way the iPhone does video, which is I think always the case. It's just got really smooth looking, just great video. And the fact that you can do 60 frames on every single camera in 4K is super, super cool. Um, but, you know, of course, the Note 10 is still great for a lot of things. It's it's um, I like the the wide angle a bit better coming from the Note. And, you know, like having the S Pen for remote features is really nice. You can use that as a remote shutter if you're trying to shoot a photo or video of yourself. It's, you know, always convenient. Um I think the the main takeaway is, you know, we're we're at a point this year where every single phone from every manufacturer for the most part at least is um is at least good enough and most of the time it's it's great and having three cameras on on another flagship is just more good news.
0: Yeah, and Andrew, you um you know, we we've seen the Galaxy series sort of ebb and flow in popularity. Um not not in terms of the mainstream like it's still the number one phone brand Mm -hmm. from an android perspective oh hell no motorola that is a new motorola phone ringtone right there oh hell no
2: because nobody chooses to keep that ringtone but it's oh my God. god
0: i am so sorry i want to throw this out the window now we'll talk about that a bit later um so you know the note 10 it's you know, it, it had its moment, right? In August, everybody was using it, and then we moved yep. on. Um, a month or so after its debut, now the iPhones are out. Now we have the whole spectrum. We still don't have the Pixel, right? We we know so much about the Pixel from leaks, but as you wrote in your editor's desk column last weekend, like, we still don't really know everything there is to, to know about it because um, it's not – you just can't until you We need the it. how so, part. Yeah, you need the how exactly. So what's your impression of the Note series now uh that we have the iPhones?
2: I've I've still been using the Note 10 Plus. I think I'm I'm just going to be using that until until uh Pixel time. So you still got a couple more weeks and it's just it's still incredibly consistent. Uh it, it, we're just going to talk about the camera parts, it, it's still incredibly consistent. I still like it. Um but it's it's not good enough or just blowing me away enough that I don't look at these comparisons as we're working on uh, comparing it to all sorts of phones, including the iPhone, and think, well, yeah, Samsung has kind of just been resting a little bit. And they are a little bit behind. And, you know, it's really tough. And this, this is what always comes through in uh, Samsung coverage in particular. I think it's like it's really good but we just want more because we can see that there are other companies doing a little bit more and it's just, it's really tough to walk that line because there's nothing really wrong with the Note 10's camera experience. I think all three cameras are really good. Um, The video stabilization took a big step forward um, in this generation. The front facing camera is really good. And like Hayata said, it has really cool features that you can enable with the S Pen, but then you just you look at the low light capabilities of the new iPhone 11 Pro and even the old quote unquote uh, uh Pixel 3 cuz it's coming around on a year old and you're just like well yeah actually Samsung is really good but you know what have you done for me lately
0: yeah and, and as it as, as I and Hayato saw with the OnePlus 7T it's you know $600 phone it can basically outdo Samsung's cameras for considerably less money. I don't know so, if I'd go that far. Oh, I don't. I I would. I mean, it's it's definitely. Um, it, it goes blow for blow. I I do think that high um, OnePlus does. Uh, it, it retains more detail in in faces. I think it it has less kind of smoothing. Um, it it definitely tends to. Uh, produce photos that are a bit cooler and, and less saturated, which is a subjective thing, right? If you prefer mm-hmm. Samsung's super saturated, colorful output, then, you know, you may like that. But overall, I think OnePlus has definitely raised the bar for what you can expect from a, a value flagship. And and obviously, we still have Google with the Pixel 3a. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it just comes down to, is the, you know, we, we've seen rumors that, the Galaxy S11 will feature a, a Samsung produced 108 megapixel sensor, which is, you know, obviously going to interpolate down to like, you know, 20 megapixels or yeah. eight, you know, whatever it'll be, right? Um, but that seems to be the trend where you you produce a relatively large sensor with a lot of a lot of pixels and then just interpolate to, to try to create more detailed photos.
2: I just want Samsung to use a new sensor, (laughs) just like do, do something. Um, it it doesn't matter if it's a crazy hundred plus megapixel thing with crazy pixel bending or, you know, what it is. Uh, I'm just happy to see that there's potential that they're actually going to do something entirely new, especially when we're really looking at a lot of very nuanced things, just like you mentioned with the, the T, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about later. Um, the The playing field is pretty darn flat when you start to look at photo quality from anywhere between the iPhone 11 Pro Max and the Google Pixel 3a. You know, that's like between, oh, shut up phone. Um, that's everywhere between a $400 phone and an $1,100 phone. And, you know, there are points that, uh, at you know, along that spectrum that are all very, very similar. And so we're really talking about very small changes and you know nuance and subjectivity but uh you still expect samsung to keep you know actually pushing things forward
0: yeah absolutely and um you know just looking at what the mate 30 pro offers which is two very very large 40 megapixel uh sensors right that that is the direction that a lot of other companies are taking And it's clear Samsung needs to do something. I mean, we did talk last week extensively about how sensor size, sensor age, sensor density is not the be-all and end-all. Jerry, you know, walked us through how Google improves camera quality year over year despite not upgrading its sensors. Um, But that's just one strategy. You can can nuance it like Google or you can brute force it like Huawei. And Samsung... is kind of going the the nuanced method, but they don't have the data. They don't have apparently the the skills to back it up. So, you know, that's definitely something to consider. I, I did want to talk a little bit about the Mate 30 uh, before we move on to OnePlus and, uh, and, and some other things. So, you know, we weren't sure whether this could be done. Alex proved otherwise. A lot of people have followed suit. So the Chinese models that the reviewers received didn't have play services on it. We weren't sure if they had the foundation, the GMS foundation, Google um, mobile services, the, the GMS core that was necessary. Uh turns out it does. And, um, you know, there have been some inklings that Google could have, even with uh, those foundations, Google could have still prevented Huawei from installing or at least uh, certifying play services once it was installed. Turns out, that is not the case. So, Andrew, what's your take on this? I mean, if you have a single click uh, solution for Google Play Services yeah. on this phone, does that change your opinion of it? Does it make it more attractive to the average consumer?
2: Uh, well, obviously, it makes it more attractive. Um, the question is, you know, the question is whether it puts it over the threshold of you know, from no buy to, okay, I'll put up with that and buy. I still, I mean, for myself personally, I'm still not going to say that I can recommend this to normal people because this shouldn't be a, a hoop that anybody has to jump through. And the question isn't whether it works right now. That's obviously been proven. It does. The question is, will it still be the case when there are, new updates to apps that you use or new updates to, you know, Google play services or the play store, like what breaks along the way when you're using this phone six or nine, 12 months later. And, you know, do you have all of the, the security that's provided by Google play services on a continuing basis? Do you have support for, you know, payments and Google pay and, You know, things like that, like what breaks along the way. We can't know that until people have been using it for longer, but that's still where my hesitation is. It's very interesting that it does have this GMS core underneath to be able to install all the Google services. Um, That's kind of odd because we thought that that was a pretty low chance that was there. But I, I'm still quite skeptical of how many people can or should go through this process.
0: Hey, so, um Alex posted his initial review where he basically said that you know a lot of the criticisms about color science in previous Huawei phones in particular um you know it's it's really really bad white balance um has been corrected here, and that there's less inconsistency between the uh the the sensors themselves so when you switch from your primary to your ultra wide your telephoto the photos look the color looks basically identical um does that alleviate your concerns for buying a huawei phone or recommending it i mean say this gets official google services down the road um you know as a videographer would you start recommending a Huawei phone to people if, if they want to shoot really good video?
1: Um, I don't know about video necessarily. Um, I mean, I, I really just don't know a whole lot about, um, Huawei's performance with video in particular, but for photos, at least, I think that, um, I I think that's always been a big complaint of mine is, you know, I, I really, really dislike Huawei's color science and Last week, when we were in New York shooting with the iPhone and a bunch of other phones, the P30 Pro that we used was just consistently my least favorite when it came to colors. So, any improvement there, I am really happy to hear because, you know, I think Huawei puts so much work into all these amazing technologies as far as the rest of their cameras are concerned, you know, like this, this, um, this super just wild zooming capabilities and, and all their imaging quality is just totally on point. But yeah, none, none of it is like when the colors aren't great to start with. Yeah, you can fix them to some extent, but it takes a lot more work to get to a photo that I'm happy with. So, you know, any any kind of improvement to color science, I'm happy to hear. And especially when it's consistent between lenses, I think that's really important. And that's something that I think uh, Apple in particular got really right this year. And, you know, to uh, to some extent, Samsung as well. So uh, yeah, I'm. I'm excited to see more photos come from the Mate 30 Pro, and and you know, hopefully, I can try out the camera myself at some point.
0: Well, I mean, just FYI, uh, DxO Mark, which we absolutely love and trust 100 oh yeah, 50 oh yeah, um, said mm-hmm. that the Mate 30 Pro has the best photo taking abilities of any phone ever made, um, by a by a considerable margin. Um, so I don't know you know, what what to take away from that, but it also had the Galaxy S the Galaxy Note 10 5G as the previous leader, uh, with the Google Pixel 3 really, really far below that. So not sure how much to make of, of that claim,
1: however. I mean I, I will say like I think if you're just broadly saying best camera capabilities, that's probably not untrue. Um because like I said, really my only complaint is the color science other than that you know Huawei makes really great cameras on their phones
0: yeah I mean this goes into detail about color and 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 all that stuff but uh, I don't really want to spend too much time on it because they they do go pretty deep into some of these color tests and I it does look it it looks like Huawei's made some strides there so I'm, I'm I'm happy about that yeah Okay, uh, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and talk uh, phone reviews and uh, a watch that Andrew loves. Be right back. This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by Candid. Listen, let's talk about the holidays. I know it's crazy early to talk about the holidays, but trust me, you don't want to go through another holiday season taking closed mouth photos while everybody else is grinning ear to ear. Getting a photo-ready smile starts right now, and it's easier than ever with clear aligners from Candid. Candid's aligners can help straighten your teeth faster than traditional wire braces. Treatment takes just six months on average, and an experienced orthodontist who is licensed in your state creates a custom treatment plan. Then they show you a 3D model so you can see how your teeth will look after you're done. Candid's aligners are comfortable, they're removable, and they're completely invisible. And they ship directly to you, so there's no hassle of having to go to an orthodontist's office. And Candid costs 65% less than braces. A win-win. And finally, with each aligner purchased, Candid donates $25 to Smile Train, who brings safe, 100% free cleft lip and palate treatment to children around the globe. So get your photo-ready smile by the holidays by going to candidco.com slash ACP and use the code ACP to get $75 off. That's candidco, candidco.com slash ACP and use the code ACP for $75 off, candidco.com slash ACP, code ACP. And thank you so much, Candid, for sponsoring the Android Central Podcast. Okay. Um, so before we get to the 7T, because I think we'll talk mm-hmm. about that for a bit longer. Andrew, your your review of the Galaxy Watch Active 2 went up today. Yes. And uh you like it. You said it you, you gave it a four and a half out of five rating. Uh you said aside from a couple of minor issues with it, it's one of your, if not your favorite tracker. Um mm-hmm. t- tell us why. I mean it seems like this is samsung's most complete smartwatch to date
2: it really is and so it's 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 really odd because it's not an active it's not just good because it's an active watch and i think that the name is a little bit of a misnomer because when i look at it compared to um the apple watch series 5 which also obviously focuses on fitness and health and all that kind of stuff a lot but is also just a good general smartwatch. This just takes the exact same approach. I really appreciate that unlike the other, the Galaxy Watch models, God, these names are so confusing. Unlike the Galaxy Watch models, this doesn't have as opinionated of a design. It's just a basic, clean, simple, well-executed design. And what kind of band you put on it Kind of determines, you know, is this more of a, you know, a quote unquote regular, you know, traditional watch or is this kind of more like a sports watch or something you're using for fitness and you can use it either way And the way that Samsung's uh, software works is you can just configure it to set, you know, set it up to be whatever you want. They have a great number of watch faces that span the entire range of styles to match whatever. And then the way that their widget system works, you can only put the things on there that you want. You don't have to use all of the fitness tracking and things. You can put different widgets where, you know, you can have whatever, a calendar and a news reader and messages and all these other things on there. Or you can just wipe that all out and just go pure fitness. And in either case... You get, you know, typical Samsung great screen and two to three days of battery life and the software is smooth and easy on the eyes and they have this capacitive bezel now that lets you get through the interface quicker than, you know, any other watch where you have to just swipe and tap. So it kind of just does everything, you know, typical Samsung fashion and that's why I think it's so, it's so fantastic. So two sizes this time, Um,
0: you know, 40 mil, which was the same size as the previous active and 44 mils, which is the size of, well, not exactly, but slightly smaller than the original Galaxy Watch. Yeah. Um, This seems like, it seems really weird that they're releasing this only six months after the first one. So what's your take on why that actually happened?
2: Oh, I... I have no idea. I mean, other than the fact that Samsung has done this before, it doesn't make any sense. Um, the original watch active, you know, it didn't have this touch bezel, which you can just tell by looking at the thing that has the same design as the previous one physically. And yet now it has this capacitive touch bezel. It just, it clearly should have been there from the start. Um, they've always done. Two different sizes of as many wearables as they can, um, because they know that that's a good idea. It just, it's just really weird that they rolled out that active and then they just jumped to the active two, which is just so much more of a complete product. Um, it just was missing just a few little things. Um, I really don't understand it. I mean, of course they're continuing to sell the original active as well because it's still cheaper. And I guess that's the only reason why I really see that uh, with a limited feature set, it lands between the watch active two at 300 and the, um, galaxy fit down at 100. So the original active is 200 and I guess, you know, they could have seen that there's room for that, but I really could have just seen them waiting and why don't you just launch them all together? Uh, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially when there are a lot of features that are shared. In terms of just the quality of the hardware and the design, the um, inclusion of GPS, the good screen, it runs the exact same software. You know, it it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to differentiate these two as two generations. You know, Watch Active, Watch Active Two.
0: Right. So actually, that's a really good point. So you can't expect like better, better um, performance or anything. It's not like you have more RAM or or a better no soc you're just it's just got that capacitive
2: uh bezel and and two sizes and two optional lte right
0: okay so this is it's been a kind of a long um you know it's it's been a, a a very long refrain that uh google's wear os is garbage and that we've we've heard this for years uh google has done very little to improve it um on the other hand Apple made a very minor update to its Apple Watch this year, but incredibly minor. Um it's still the most popular smartwatch in the world. Um where where does Samsung fit in there in terms of you know capabilities, popularity, um, desirability compared to something like the Apple Watch?
2: Oh man, I I mean the biggest problem there is that uh, obviously the the Samsung stuff works with iPhones, but very minimally, you know, compared to the deep integration of the of the Apple Watch. And so, you know, we know the figures, even just roughly like the Apple Watch is outselling everything hand over fist. I think the real question is, where does Samsung stand compared to Fitbit in the, you know, doing everything standalone and the fact that it works with The iPhone is kind of just a perk like, you know, it's working with the iPhone and that you can install an app on the iPhone and, you know, sync your data back and forth. It's not like a core part or an extension of the phone experience. Um, And I think Samsung compares pretty well there. I think the hardware looks and feels a lot nicer than anything Fitbit's doing. It's especially in this case, it's able to be used as a kind of daily watch and a general smartwatch in a way that the Fitbit really doesn't do. And the tracking is about on par. Um, It just, again, requires people to break out of the expectation that, you know, Fitbit is the, you know, it's the Kleenex or the Tylenol, whatever, you know, it's, it is the general name for a fitness tracker. And can Samsung convince you to not only try a Samsung wearable, And, you know, I think find out that it's really good. But also in this case, you know, you're paying extra for it. You know, you're not going to go spend. I mean, with the Watch Active 2, it's $300. You're not just going to go spend that kind of money randomly.
0: Yeah, I mean, Hayato, like Fitbit has had a kind of a rough year or so. Um, Even though it just launched its new Versa 2, it has its new Fitbit premium service, which personalizes its recommendations and gives you more data uh there's also a rumor that it's trying to sell itself and that its um market cap is only 1.3 billion dollars which is pretty low for a company um of of its name brand status right everybody knows what a fitbit is um First, do you even wear a wearable? Like, do you wear a smartwatch, a Fitbit tracker, a fitness tracker?
1: I, I used to wear a um, a Gear S2 Classic for a little bit. But at this point, I've just kind of, you know, I, I wanted to stick with Wear OS for a bit. And then once it kind of, you know, once it really started to fall apart, um, I'm back to just a regular uh, dumb watch. I just wear some Michael Kors little, uh, little regular watch.
0: And, and it, so that's right. On the one hand, you know, this is, the main competition, right? Cheap, regular watches that you don't think about, don't have to charge. Then there are the hybrid watches from companies like Fossil and MicroCores that have a little bit of intelligence. They can track your steps. They connect your phone with Bluetooth. Um, other other hybrids are a little bit more advanced, right? Uh, Andrew, we've heard rumors that Fossil is going to come out with mm-hmm. a um, a hybrid watch that has a screen behind it, similar to... LG's failed um Watch G7 or whatever oh, man, it was called. Yeah. Um but it won't run Wear OS, it'll run something proprietary. We learned what happened, actually wearable.com uh released information last week about um what happened with Google's $40 million acquisition of uh Fossil's smartwatch division or part of it, right? They uh, they aqua hired a bunch of Employees from from fossil after fossil bought misfit, and misfit was apparently working on this hybrid smartwatch technology. And fossil mm-hmm. didn't really know what to do with it, so Google basically took o- took over the project. Um, we're 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 hearing that this upcoming fossil hybrid is going to be based on that secret project, um, and then. You know, on the other side of it, we have the more expensive products like Apple Watch, like this Galaxy Watch Active 2, which are, you know, they're fitness trackers, but they're also very capable wrist computers. They're, they're everything else. Yeah. Um, it's a really complicated decision now to buy a smartwatch is what I'm saying, or, or a wearable in general.
2: It really is. And especially when uh, I think there's another category there that, or just the basic, like the kind of the canonical fitness tracker, you know, your 50 to a hundred dollar fitness band that really only does fitness stuff and carves out its own segments in that you could also pair it with having just a mechanical watch. I mean, there is, aside from the cost perspective, these high-end smartwatches are, like it's the only thing you're going to wear. You're not going to wear it and something else on that wrist or another mechanical watch on another wrist. Like that, that's that's not what you're going to do. So there's a big commitment there to picking a smartwatch in that you're going to spend good money on it and it's going to be your one thing. And that's also kind of a bigger barrier that I think Apple has managed to just plow right through that somehow. It's turned into this thing where everybody just, well, they just wear it all the time. And people are cool with that. Um whereas Samsung hasn't gotten people to make that jump in the same way.
1: Um I, I think a lot of people tend to, at least people I know will like they, they have a smartwatch for general use that they'll wear pretty much every day. But then if they want to go out on like a like a nice dinner or they have some kind of important event, then they would rather just wear, you know, their like really good looking regular watch. And I think that's kind of where I Want to be if I can find a smartwatch that actually, you know, like works for for my pretty basic needs, but also looks good. Um, a lot of the a lot of the fossil watches I saw at IFA were really really nice looking, and maybe maybe that's what I need to they start are. looking into. But um, yeah, I, I like a lot of these. I, I like a lot of hybrid watches, and I like the smartwatches that um, you know look good and and last throughout at least one day that I can just get notifications on. Um, But I I, I do still prefer just a regular watch in general.
0: Apple and Fitbit both decided that their smartwatches, quote, are going to be primarily fitness trackers. Um, Wear OS devices and Samsung devices have those same capabilities, right? Always on heart rate sensing, automatic workout detection, but Andrew, you found that the Watch Active 2 wasn't a great tracker. It, it didn't, it's, you know, its GPS signal got funky. Um, it it wasn't accurate. Uh, when you were tracking a run with Strava, Samsung's own automatic fitness tracking yeah. kicked in, which is a terrible user experience. Um, it just feels like Samsung has never taken health as seriously on the wrist as, say, Apple or Fitbit. And and that's really my long-term concern with this, is that, you know, it seems like it does so much well, but when you dig into Samsung's feature set, when you really dig into Tizen itself, it's all quite surface level, and it does not have the same third-party app support to justify Samsung's first-party apps being so unimpressive.
2: Yeah, I've... I've never been locked into any uh, kind of health fitness platform in particular um, more so than I have been with Samsung's because I've just been using its wearables for so long. Like I, I don't have any major allegiance to it. I'm just, I'm used to it. And Samsung health has gotten considerably better, but it still does not feel complete. And the real breakdowns are the ones you point out with trying to integrate with other services and other accessories. So on the side of, you know, if you're trying to use another accessory and hook up with an API to get that kind of stuff through your phone into Samsung health, for example, is just a total disaster and trying to run third-party apps on the watch in a fitness um, context is also a disaster. Just the apps either, don't exist or just like every single app on the galaxy store, it's like two or two and a half stars because you know rating because it's just bad. And it's one of those things where, okay, those experiences are so bad that, okay, if you just stick with Samsung health, it all works and it all looks really good. But like nobody else is really using Samsung health. You know, it kind of has to be, you know, these ecosystem decisions do matter um uh, people always talk about being able to have their challenges and things with their their friends with Apple Watches. Fitbit has a very similar um, kind of following and individual apps like Strava and MapMyRun and things like that are are really popular ecosystems in their own right and they're more popular than Samsung's ecosystem even just the individual apps. And if you can't get your wearable to work with those properly, you're just you're just going to lose people uh and that's really that's really frustrating i think that samsung's daily tracking if you don't care about taking your runs or your bike seriously with gps you know you just want tracking of some sort to like give you a good update on your walk or your hikes or whatever it does a good job with automatic tracking throughout your day and automatic workout tracking heart rate is good steps and floors are good but it's not it's not a uh, a garmin running watch it's just it it just isn't it's not even close and that's 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 pretty tough because samsung is already at a point of disadvantage and then it misses out on some of those types of things for a quote-unquote active device
0: right and it's not even trying to get into the social side of things which is why I'm surprised that it's even trying to build out Samsung Health. It should really just partner with a company like Strava, really integrate Strava or Map My Run or something um, tightly into Tizen, and allow people to, um, you know, use those apps natively to yeah. then communicate with with their friends. Like millions Absolutely. of people use these existing
2: services. Nobody cares about Samsung Health yeah samsung like samsung could to kill samsung health entirely and just say we've deeply integrated with all of these different you know um map my fitness or strava or you know name your service but we have this dozen services that we've deeply integrated with you just go into the settings and pick where you want your data to go and it's going to go there i would be over the moon with that decision because i just don't like samsung health is fine because it's the default and it's the only thing you can really do like comprehensively and so you just it's cool like it just works uh same way with google fit really i mean google fit is not good i don't think anybody would choose to use it if they had other choices but it's just kind of the thing that's there and in both cases you'd be way better off just being able to pipe that data over to something you actually want to use. Right.
0: Um, I think we should all just go back to using Casio's so much. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. No, you should be, you're a millennial. You should be like, yes, I'm all, <laughs> all about going back to the calculator 80s. watch.
1: I may, yeah, I may, Calculator watch, baby. I may want to live in Brooklyn and be that kind of guy, but, uh,
2: uh, also, Hayato doesn't know the first thing about the 80s, Daniel. That's He fair. was not alive. I know. I, I don't even <laughs> want to admit that. All right, let's
0: move on. Let's talk about this, the uh, OnePlus 7T. Hayato, uh, independently, because we were so busy, we really didn't have time to talk about our feelings about the phone. Independently, we basically came to the same conclusion, which I love because it validates what I thought. Um, we came to the conclusion that this is one of the best phones you can buy. It's one of the best phones under 600, well, it is the best phone under six hundred. Uh, it is a tremendous um, entry into the sort of flagship value flagship category, which is growing relatively quickly, right? With with phones from Honor and and Oppo and Vivo and uh, moving into the in, into the West. Um, but this one is is kind of special because it takes most of the great things about the extremely large OnePlus Seven Pro. Brings it down to a more manageable size and uh, makes a couple of improvements on top of that. So let's talk about it. Um, first, the, the, the phone itself looks really nice. I mean, it doesn't have the bezel-less display of the 7 Pro, but it's got a taller 20 by 9 aspect ratio, it's got that teardrop notch. Um, The back of the phone has a rounded camera module, which reminds me of the Lumia 1020 RIP. Uh, It's just a really nice looking phone. And that glacier blue gradient is gorgeous. So what was your take on it while just using the phone?
1: I mean, pretty much right when I uh, unboxed it for the first time, I was like really taken away by that finish more than anything. It's just, it's a really good looking color. but yeah, you know, like I, I like the camera dome. I, I guess people don't seem to like it online. I've gotten a lot of comments on our YouTube video that, you know, it's like the ugliest phone they've put out, and I really like it. But using it, it's just, it's such a fast experience in every aspect. You know, the software is super responsive because OnePlus always does great things with the Android software they're given. Um, and the 90 hertz display, this is the first time they've put it on a non-Pro model, and it's it's um, a bit lower res than the OnePlus Plus Seven Pro, but it's still more than enough for what I need, and it looks so good. It's so hard to go back to a ninety or to a sixty hertz display after this. Um, I booted up the Note Ten for the first time in maybe a week, uh, just this morning, and for as much as I do really still love that phone, it's kind of hard to go back and you know like it it almost feels slow, even though the note 10 is very much a fast phone. It just feels slow because it's like the refresh rate's not there. So, you know, I, I think if you spend a lot of time around, or even, even maybe like a day or two around a 90 Hertz display on a phone, it, it kind of ruins everything else for you a little bit.
0: Yeah. I'll agree with that. I mean, this, the screen is, is good in, in, in most other ways, you know, brightness is decent. Uh, it's a really high quality 1080p AMOLED display. But yeah, the the attention grabber is obviously that 90 hertz refresh rate. Uh, Andrew, during the the uh, press conference um, or the keynote yesterday, OnePlus said that all future OnePlus phones would have a fluid display, which includes the 90 hertz panel, but also has a bunch of other optimizations. Um they said that they worked with Qualcomm to actually tune the hardware of the Snapdragon 855 Mm -hmm. to uh, kick in more cores or uh, increase speed in the performance cores when an app needs that performance. So he used scrolling through Instagram as an example, which is not something you would think of as a taxing interaction. And yet because... The scrolling needs to stay smooth, regardless of what you're seeing on the screen. He's saying that they're tuning specific apps to ramp up uh, the the uh, core speed when necessary, and I think that's interesting, um, if only because you know OnePlus seems to be in a cadence now of creating two phones a year, four if you're counting the weird off, you know, OnePlus Seven
2: and rumors. Yeah, we 7 should talk to- about how confusing that is at some point here. <laughs>
0: So yeah, like what, what do you take, like like a lot of companies, Google is going to add a 90 Hertz display. So is this just
2: something that's going to be normal on every phone going forward, do you think? Uh, I sure hope so. I like that it's, I like that OnePlus is going to put its foot down on it. It makes a ton of sense for, for them because they've always been the, you know, speed, fluidity, consistency in the software company and, Uh, We talked about this a lot when the 7 Pro was announced. The 90 hertz display just makes their software look even better than it already did, which by all accounts is the fastest, smoothest, most consistent software in everything you do. So when you're looking for a differentiator at this point, it still is. I think that, yeah, like you said, give it a year or two think 90 hertz is going to be everywhere at least in the high end because it's just the next thing especially if you're trying to differentiate yourself a little bit from samsung which hasn't gone to 90 hertz yet but dominates the industry in every other aspect of the display um we can't really go well it's not that we can't we won't go much higher in resolution because you're starting to look at resolutions that don't matter anymore in a in a smartphone display and apple has shown that you can still do a fantastic display at a lower resolution samsung even you know ships the note 10 uh with a 1080p panel um the refresh rate is something that you can see experience and feel no matter what and it's a clear difference from 60 hertz and yeah it does require additional um optimization and it requires powerful hardware and there is a little bit of a battery hit, but the the adjustable high Hertz refresh rates are are something that's easier to notice and frankly more important than a lot of different things that you know we've seen focused on in the last couple of years.
0: What's interesting too, um OnePlus told me that a 90 Hertz display currently costs three times what a 60 hertz display costs for them. So, I believe it. you know, that that is a significant chunk of the, the BOM of any phone, right? You have the processor and the display are the two biggest costs to the manufacturer. And yet this is a $600 phone. So, you know, yes, OnePlus has always said that its margins are lower. We don't know its relationship with its, you know, s- presumed parent company that also owns oppo so um one can assume that they are getting better prices because they can buy these things in scale but also this you know this is a really good phone regardless of the price and yet hayato it's still six hundred dollars um so how do you think it compares to every other phone on the market uh, aside from its screen
1: well so michael when we were um you know we we Talked just a little bit before our reviews were uh, kind of finished. We we talked about how you know Michael doesn't think that it's uh, he he struggled to call it his favorite phone the way I did, um, and part of the reason for him is because it sits right in between the Pixel Three A, which is about four hundred dollars, and the iPhone Eleven, which is about uh, seven, and has you know I, I would say better cameras for sure than than the Seven T but i think the overall experience is just so good on the on the 7t that you know whether you're kind of no matter what you're what you're after you're going to get a good experience here if you want great cameras you know i don't think we touched on this a little bit earlier i don't think this is quite on the same level as you know phones from samsung or apple or any other android manufacturer that's making these $1000 phones because you know it's it's a lot cheaper of course it's not going to be but it's very close, and it's still what I would call a great camera experience. The software is, again, fantastic. The battery life I thought was pretty good. Um, I have had very, very few complaints. I think that, you know, I'm I'm ending most days with maybe 20 30% remaining, so it's not going to be like a two-day phone, but it's certainly more than enough for a one-day um, battery life. So I think it's just a really good experience. Um, this is... One of the first phones I would recommend if somebody asked me today, you know, hey, what what phone should I buy? This is going to work on most U.S. carriers. It's even going to be available in some stores. So there's really not a whole lot of reason to cross this off your list unless you just have, you know, very specific needs. Like I need the number one best camera or the the absolute, you know, highest res display or whatever. Um unless you fall into a very specific niche, I think this is going to appeal to pretty much anybody.
0: Michael, you, you say Michael, but he's not Madonna or or, or like <laughs> Beyonce. People may need to know his last <laughs> Don't name. Tell him so that. we're talking about my, my Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I agree with that, right? Because he's talking about a $400 Pixel 3a, which I still think is among the best phones released in 2019 as well. I mean, objectively, like, it's it's plastic, so it, you don't have to worry about it smashing, Hayato. Um you well, we don't have to worry about whoa, <laughs> shots fired <laughs> too soon. Uh, uh, we you know you don't have to worry about uh, a, a lot of things, right? You it's it's just a very simple phone, right? It, it does it has one camera and it works really well. It doesn't have the fastest processor or the most amount of RAM, but generally. Uh, it it works right. It, I think it's been less buggy than the Pixel Three itself, and honestly, the Pixel Three A has better battery life than the Pixel Three XL. Oh, by I don't far. know how, but I don't ever have to worry about battery life on the Three A. So, what you get with the OnePlus Plus Seven T is versatility, right? You get three cameras, all of which are pretty fun, and the main the main sensor produces decent shots in almost every lighting condition. The wide angle is super fun. Performance is fast. I mean, it's not you, you cannot argue that it's a faster phone than the 3A. Um, you know, it's the only phone right now in, in the US that has a Snapdragon 855 plus, although that won't be true for very long. Um and just overall, right, you just get specs. You get 128 gigs of RAM, 8 gigs of uh 128 gigs of storage, 8 gigs of RAM. Uh you get that you know fast SOC, you get a, a, a much better display, you get the 90 hertz refresh rate, um, but you still don't get some of the things t- that you take, adva- take for granted on more expensive phones, right? You don't get wireless charging and you don't get an official IP rating. Um, how much does that play into your choice of what phone to use?
1: Um, You know, I, I think... Wire, or uh, Yeah, wireless charging specifically isn't that huge uh, of a deal to me. I've got wireless chargers kind of strewn across the house, but I don't use them that often even when I've got a phone that has the capability. Um, but I, I think wire, or, uh, water, water resistance is definitely a big consideration. We've seen other OnePlus phones before uh, that can definitely survive being submerged for a short period of time. It's not recommended but you know part of that is because OnePlus typically says that you know that their phones for the most part should match up with any kind of phone that's that's IP rated they just don't want to they don't want to put their phones through that official testing to get that certification which then adds cost to the end user so i think you can you can count on the OnePlus phones to be water resistant to some extent but there's no guarantee there's no uh, rating there and that that you know there's a peace of mind that comes with that kind of certification. Um so it's a it's a small consideration to me. I think the the thing that I like about this that um I actually kind of dislike about a lot of the more expensive phones, like even the Note 10 that I have been enjoying for the last uh, several weeks is that I'm not a big fan of curved displays, and I love that the 7T um is basically it's it's like it's a 7 Pro with a flat display and a tiny, tiny little notch instead of the motorized front camera. So I think it's, you know, it, it's an upgrade to the 7 and it's an upgrade over the, 7, uh, the 6T. But it's, you know, if you're coming from a 7 Pro, it's like this is basically the same phone with with a flat screen.
0: Andrew, try to help me make sense of OnePlus's phone lineup right now. because i Not
1: sure
2: I can do it.
0: All right. Done. <laughs> Let's move on. No, so, the, so the, the company released the 7 Pro and the 7 in May, and it only made available the 7 Pro in North America. Oh, sorry, the, in North America, only the 7 Pro of those two phones were made available. It continued yeah. to sell the 6T. And the 7 was very similar to the 6T elsewhere. Exactly. It was basically the same phone, just with a spec bump. And... Uh in in and that's in Europe and in, in Asia the in India the 7 and 7 Pro were sold side by side. Okay. So now we have the 7T, and there's a rumor that there's a 7T Pro that has a very that's a very minor refresh over the 7 Pro. Uh and it's unlikely that phone will be available in the US. So we have a situation where the 7T will be sold alongside the 7 Pro in the US and Canada and a couple other markets. And we'll have the seven replacing seven T replacing the seven in a lot of markets, and then the seven T Pro will replace the seven Pro in a lot of markets. Mm -hmm. Um, What the
2: hell is going on, man? This this strategy of doing a release every six months with you know kind of the TikTok uh, system of a big release and then a smaller release really goes out the window. Once you start having that also have two lines in the regular and the pro models. So I really felt like the going to the seven pro was a perfect time to make that very clear that we have the pro line and that pro is going to be updated maybe yearly. And then on a maybe on a staggered release cycle, you also refresh the lower end one. Because now you have this problem of high-end, low-end, and they're on a different cadence. And can you really still justify refreshing both of them on a six-month cycle? Um, And they're kind of retroactively now realizing that, oh yeah, that's actually going to be really annoying. So we'll stagger them based on regions. And that's just really confusing. Because normally that wouldn't be a problem. But OnePlus is core users are you know the bulk of their users are these people that are really into this stuff and they're really enthusiastic about it they're the ones that know that there's something happening in another region or somewhere else in the world and they can't have it and that's a, not a great position for OnePlus to be in whereas samsung or somebody selling to a mass market it's like well the products that are available in their country are the ones that they care about. OnePlus, not so much. People want the best OnePlus phone that that they can get, and starting to stagger it across regions is really confusing.
0: So the OnePlus 7T Pro, which is also a bad name, is but not the 70
2: um, Pro. It's the 7T. Pro.
0: Uh, is rumored to be uh, that minor refresh, as I said, but that refresh only pertains to like the the. The chip—it's just going to be a Snapdragon A55 Plus, and you know, from what we've heard, a couple of other very, very minor tweaks. It's going to look identical. It's going to have the same colorways, at least at the beginning. Um, it is—it is all very odd, and I don't quite understand it. At the same time, it's—it's it's done this every year to some extent, right? The six T was a very minor refresh over the six. The same with the five T, uh, the three as well. So. It's just, you know, OnePlus going to OnePlus, but they're on a roll right now, and it feels like they're adding unnecessary
1: complexity to their lineup. It's almost like they're taking a page from Sony's book with the six-month release cycles on their stuff. Totally.
2: And they're taking a page from Moto too. Oh, exactly. Where you don't really understand why, why each release comes out other than it's it's been x number of months and so you just hit you hit pause on development of whatever you're doing and you ship it and then you just go on to the next one you you just keep the development cycle rolling
0: yeah i mean whatever hardware refresh is available they take it and they and they run with it
2: and honestly like that like you said they're they're on a roll it worked it has worked out really well for them up to this point it just doesn't really apply when you now have two lines in the middle and the higher end, and when you have two lines that are so close in price. I mean, there, it's not like this is a four hundred dollar phone and a seven hundred dollar phone. It's 600 and
0: $670. right? But you have to keep in mind the six hundred and seventy dollar OnePlus Seven Pro is only six gigs of RAM and one hundred and twenty eight gigs of storage. So sure, sure. You have to go up to six ninety nine for the eight gig two fifty
2: six model. But still you're you're only talking $100 So totally. yeah, now yeah, you you're, but it is, you're trying to define them as two different lines.
0: I think a lo- it's not neither phone is cheap but $600 is a lot easier to stomach than 700. I don't know why there's that, you know, cognitive leap to make, but it is. It's it just it's there. So any last thoughts on the 7T? Uh I have really enjoyed it. I thought it, it it's probably my favorite OnePlus phone ever. Mainly because the great haptics from the Seven Pro are there, but it doesn't feel like you're carrying around a twenty pound weight when you when you're
2: when you're using it. So, yeah, I'm just glad that they kept it smaller. And you know, there is that option. You know, outside of the price difference, there's clearly you know you have your size choice, and like Hayato said, the curve versus flat screen choice, and that that's pretty good. Like that's could be enough to justify that
1: the thing that the thing exists. I will say it's still a huge, huge phone.
0: Yeah, it is, I guess, but it's not it's not overwhelming. I don't feel like it's a huge phone when I'm using it.
2: Yeah. It's it's big. It's just it's not 7 Pro big because very few things are.
0: Okay. Uh let's let's move on and talk about our, our final topic of the the pod. Uh this week's Amazon event in Seattle where Andrew, you had to fly back <laughs> from San Diego. Uh, cuz San Diego hosted or San Diego Qualcomm hosted you at its 5G day events. They're interchangeable at this point considering <laughs> the Diego size of Qualcomm.
2: Qualcomm. <laughs> San Diego is it's, largely
0: owned by Qualcomm, so yeah. It's you're, it's you're
2: the correct. US Navy and Qualcomm. It's basically a, a, a that's it. Um you flew
0: back over no, or late in the evening on the 24th to get to this to the Amazon events early on the 25th. This is an all-day event, as Amazon is wont to do, Yeah, and it seemed like the announcements just never ended. Uh, they started out with a minor refresh of the Echo Dot, uh, giving it a kind of a, a dot matrix type display to t- you know to show you the time if you want to use it as a bedside clock. Which is a great idea. Yeah, how cool is that? It is. It makes sense if you don't want a, a screen. But then th- that's just where it started. So, So walk us through some of the big announcements.
2: So on the refresh side, so that was the thing. The reason why there were a ton of announcements is Amazon combines brand new stuff with just refreshes of their current lineup. So you have the Echo Dot added a uh, dot matrix clock, the canonical Echo, not the plus, not the dot, whatever, just the all new Echo um, was refreshed with new colors, a little bit better sound. Okay. Okay like that was 15 seconds on stage and they just moved on to the next thing. They also refreshed the, um, ring outdoor cam. I guess they, they said that they did some things and then they made it cheaper. And then 15 seconds later, they moved on. They, uh, what else did they refresh? They, those were the big refreshes. Then they went to new products where they went echo. They went to an echo studio, which is this brand new, what would you call it a a Sonos one competitor, a Apple HomePod, Google um Google Home Max competitor.
0: Yeah, like, it's like a hi-fi it's a hi-fi speaker that's also a yeah, smart
2: assistant speaker. yeah, assistant speaker that's also ha like puts a focus on audio quality. Um I think, and I want your take on this, Daniel, from a Sonos person's perspective, but I think it sounded really good. Obviously you haven't heard it yet, but from a capability perspective it does all the same things as all of these speakers where it uses the sound it's sending out to read the room read the things that are in the room and adjust the sound accordingly it has these big um subwoofer ports on the bottom and it has this array of tweeters on the top that are all you know can adjust and things the difference with the echo studio is it's only $200 So this is really
0: this is a really interesting product because I think this is something that Sonos or Apple would have charged double for, which is Amazon's like that's their bread and butter, right? They they take an existing category and they come out with something that may not be as good as its competitor, but undercuts it by half or more. Like it just it's it blows the blows my mind. Um, The Echo Plus, the one that. that uh, Amazon announced last year sounds really good and they also came out with a subwoofer that uh, filled in for the low end if you wanted a bit more oomph in your room so you could already do decent quality sound from an Amazon branded speaker not to mention the fact that there are so many third-party Lexa speakers out there that you can get your fix including from Sonos uh, if you really wanted to. So Mm -hmm. this is interesting because it's apparently the first 3D Dolby Atmos certified smart speaker, which means that they have three tweeters, uh, four tweeters, three um, pointing sideways and one pointing straight up to create this, this 3D effect, this like believable effect of of sound coming from multiple directions especially if you're in a relatively small room. It also does auto calibration so you put it mm-hmm. down it detects it uses the microphones to 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 detect the size of the room, the the resonance uh, you, you know the overall shape and 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 the the height of the ceiling, things like that and it, it adjusts the EQ accordingly. This is something and that, that
2: happens in ten seconds.
0: By the way, ten—it's—it's it's really this. This looks impressive, and then finally, there's a downward facing woofer that should deliver decent quality bass. So you said you've heard it. Obviously, it was in a demo environment. It was pretty loud, yeah. but you said it sounded decent.
2: It—it it sounded good in a small room. You know, I it would, the biggest thing for me is that I want to know what it would sound like in a more typical like living, you know, open plan kind of house, like, you know, kind of the modern style of home where everything is more open and there are higher ceilings and things like that. You know, there's no doubt that this is going to sound great in a 25 by 25 foot room, you know, something that's not very big, you know, with something with eight foot ceilings, like that's just, you can plan for that environment. Um, I want to know what it sounds like in a more varied environment, but even just listening to most of what we were listening to was just regular old stereo mixed music you still got some of that whole room experience um, it didn't feel so much like it's the the audios just coming from one place it did a really good uh, job of bouncing it around the room and it sounded really good um, it's it you know, it didn't sound like a Two point one system, you know, it didn't sound like a definitely didn't sound like a a several speakers around the room kind of installed home stereo system, but it's also just two hundred dollars, and it got way louder than I expected it to, and it didn't distort at high volumes, which is kind of the whole point of having something with big drivers is that it they don't have to work that hard to get louder than you want, and that's. I mean, that's really more than you could expect for the money, and that's kind of your typical Amazon thing. But the biggest thing for me is that it, they didn't really point out the fact that it also does all the Echo stuff, because, well, of course it does. It is you know it, it is at its core an Alexa-powered speaker, but that's not the goal of this thing, and I think that they could easily kind of Trojan horse into a lot of people's um, lives by like this has plenty of value in it just for the audio part and you can play your music and all that kind of stuff. And then, oh yeah, it it happens to be an Alexa device. And then, you know, you're off to the races building your smart home around that. So
0: what's really interesting is what they, they couldn't yet uh demo, which is using this as a, using two of these Echo studios paired to a fire TV, edition enabled television to create basically a 2.1 surround or 2.1 system right. uh, wirelessly similar to what you can do with a HomePod, but with, with the Apple TV, but for less than half the price. Um, I, I like that. I think a lot of people are going to try that. If, if you care about audio, you're not buying a regular Amazon echo, for example, um, no. you're buying, you're buying this. So that could be kind of cool. But it also this this does everything. I mean, it it has a Zigbee. uh, It has Zigbee inside it for a a smart home hub. It's you know, it's got a a three point five millimeter and optical in. If you want to uh, you know use this as a speaker for uh, anything not wireless, like a CD player, whatever whatever that is. I've never heard of it. So you can do something like that as well. I mean, it's kind of interesting. They're they're trying to make this an all in one product, um, and for one hundred ninety nine dollars, it's really really easy to justify, much more so than a Sonos system. Um, and it's much it's it's very likely to go on sale for one fifty
2: come Black Friday. Oh, I'm sure it will be, and I'm sure that they will do a uh you know toss you a discount for buying two or getting the two with a subwoofer or you know two with an amazon fire tv 4k or whatever it's like the the combinations are so easy to make and that's kind of typical amazon as well they're going to make it really easy to buy a two pack of dots or these new um Echo flexes like it's going to be really easy to buy a three or four pack of those things or to get an Echo Dot with the new Echo Glow accessory like Amazon is really good at bundling things and making it super simple to start off your uh, kind of smart home um, integration with multiple things all at once.
0: Yeah I mean I I have a lot of Sonos speakers as anybody who's listened to the show knows and I I don't think this is going to replace my, my Sonos setup. But at the same time, Amazon does make it pretty easy in its app to pair its uh, Echo speakers together to create a multi-room um, audio system, essentially. So you can do that for much less than a Sonos. It just doesn't, it probably doesn't work quite as seamlessly. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk other the other announcements because this the studio was big, but it wasn't the only one.
2: Yeah, the ones that I just rattled off. So the Echo Flex is just the most no-brainer thing ever. It just plugs directly into an outlet. It has just prongs on the back. Um, and it's basically an Echo Dot in terms of size, but it's only tuned just for... Um, voice queries and responses It's not tuned for music or anything like that. Um, But the idea is that you would like plug this in, in the bathroom and be able to, you know, make your uh, drop in calls back and forth between different rooms, you know, control smart home stuff. It's basically just the, the easy input output device and it has a, uh, a modular system. There's a USB port on the bottom where you can just plug in a cable if you want to charge your phone off of it or whatever. But it also has a modular system where you can attach two things right now, a motion sensor and a nightlight. Again, super, super smart because those things are needed in those little places where there's only room to plug it into an outlet. Same exact example of just like, let's just make echoes uh, for all of the things. Um, same goes for this Echo Glow. Um, uh, like nightlight fun kid thing that you plug in. It recognizes that there's an Echo next to it, and it's basically just a I think a fifteen color LED dome that can do cool stuff in your kid's room when you know they talk to their Echo. Um, And alongside that, on the refresh side, there's also an Echo Show eight now to land between the five and the ten. Again, it's just like. Keep making more echoes. Keep doing that stuff. Um, what else did they refresh? That was actually interesting. Oh, there's a new Eero. It's just a, a middle ground Eero. It's not an Eero Pro, and it's not an Eero Beacon. It's just a a regular router. And again, bundles. You can buy one for a hundred or three for two fifty. Um, Hang on, super. A I, super simple.
0: I, I, I don't want to run through this because this is this is just like your router sucks unless you have invested the time in buying a router that doesn't suck. And what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is um, if you have a router from your ISP, it it likely is garbage. Um, Or if you're for some reason holding on to a router that you bought five years ago that still does the trick, it probably doesn't cover your entire home uh, very well. So mesh router systems have become super popular. Uh, Eero is probably the best-known example, and it got bought by Amazon – and now this is the first product post-acquisition that Eero has launched. Uh, but it's, it's really interesting the way that they're doing this. Because they didn't go, you know, I had, a, I had expectations that Eero would launch like a Wi-Fi 6 version or some super fast version mm-hmm. of, of the Eero Pro. But instead they've gone cheaper, not more expensive.
2: Well, the Eero Pro is still like pretty serious, uh, I mean, it's it, it's a very capable and like definitely still high end. I understand that it's not on the the full bleeding edge with Wi Fi six, but I it, it's very clear that having a middle ground was very important.
0: Yeah, it is, and I I I think what's what's interesting is that Amazon understands that people still feel anxious about buying routers and setting it up, and the big the biggest sort of takeaway from the presentation that I that I took was the, you can set this up in 10 minutes or less, you know, like you plug it in and it just works. You open, you open the app on your phone and it'll, it'll just set it all up for you. You don't even have to worry about it. Um, that's really been Eero's, uh, selling point for so long, but for, for years since it was announced, it was just too expensive.
2: And their big thing is adding and removing nodes is super easy as well. You can buy one of, you know, if all you have is a pro right now, this is just another option to add, you know, range extension or, you know, add robustness to your network and you just plug it in and it'll work in a couple of minutes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I use an Eero system. I have I have a main one and two beacons or three beacons and it, it just, it is seamless. It's not as fast as I would like. I would really like, uh, a a bit more because i have a gigabit connection and i i rarely get more than like three four hundred megs when i'm even right next to the router on wireless Uh, how do you
1: how do you survive
0: i know it's it's a it's it's not not at all the definition of a first world (laughs) problem. i I totally get it
1: um (laughs) i mean how do you how do you think the Eero compares to a google uh google wi-fi though
0: it's very similar. It's 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 a lot more expensive, uh, and I think that But this what, new
2: one in particular goes head to head with the Google Wi-Fi nodes cuz $100 each. Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. The, they're they're $100 each. You can get a 3-pack for uh um, 250. 250. Right. So I mean, that's what Google Wi-Fi has been since it since probably 6 months after it was released. It's been like the discount mesh system that still works really well. It's never been the fastest, and it's it's just been something that you just plug in a, a, a new node and it just works. Here, Euro is going head to head. It's only a dual band radio, though, so it, it doesn't provide the yes. 5.8 gigabit, gigahertz band that uh, the Euro Pros do. Um, and unlike the the uh, Euro, uh, what's the small ones called? I'm blanking. Beacons. The beacons, you can't just plug them into a wall. You, you actually. Have to, like, I mean, there's a wire as opposed to just like plugging it into a wall. Mm -hmm. So you lose the nightlight, you gain uh, fifty (laughs) dollars. That's basically the. (laughs) So definitely recommend this. I I love the Euro system as it is today. So, uh, yeah, I think what I I think what we're gonna do is get Jerry to compare the new Euro three pack to the Google Wi-Fi three pack, which he already has, and and see which one's the better deal for two fifty.
2: Absolutely. You want to talk about wearables now? I know you do because those because we're we're not done yet. (laughs) Keep going. Uh, Well, actually, before I get to the wearables, I don't have as many takes on the ring stuff because I'm not a ring person. But do you have any thoughts on the fact that they now have an indoor cam and they announced uh, this new feature that because they have an indoor camera, they're going to. Uh, have a feature where if you're at home, it fully cuts off camera recording in the house.
1: Oh, I really, really like that. That that was one of my main things I didn't like about having a Nest uh, indoor cam for a while was like I I had the cam IQ and I just hated that whenever I would come home, I'm just getting bombarded constantly whenever I walk through the living room of like, hey, there's motion in your room. I'm like, I know it's that's me.
0: Nest has the capability of turning off cameras automatically when you get home. Um, it, it can use a number of things. It can use your Nest thermostat to detect whether you're home. It can use your phone, the GPS, uh, to detect when you're home. That's what I do.
1: I had it use my phone's location. I didn't have much luck with that. It, it still gave me notifications all the time, but I didn't have a Nest thermostat at the time. So maybe that would have helped.
0: Probably. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things that Nest, I think does really well. It's super seamless. Um, if I open my front door, my Nest thermostat is right there. It uh, it knows that I'm home. It turns off all of my cameras right away. It's it's and now that Nest forces the camera light on for all of its cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, that feature is even more important because if anybody, because if you like, I have a a camera to to look at my dog, um, and it's in my living room. So when people see a camera pointed at them when they're in my living room, they're like. What the hell is going on? Why are you recording me? And it's nice to be able to tell them, well, you know, they may not believe me, which is fair. And I I totally understand that. (laughs) But it's, you know, objectively better to say Nest now forces this light on. So if you don't see a light, you're not being recorded. And it's just one of those it's one of those weird things that Nest owners got really mad about when the when the feature was was turned on. Because it was retroactive. It got turned on for all existing Nest cameras, and people were like, how dare you change the product that I already have? But now that it's in use, it's, I think, probably the best thing Nest could have done to reinforce its privacy policy. Um, So anyway, that goes back just to this, right, with Amazon doing the same thing. It's really important, because, Andrew, you know Amazon spent a ton of time talking up privacy during this
2: event. Yeah, yeah. A whole lot. And, and talking and they also on top of this um, uh, ring, was it ring at home or something like that policy? They're also um, announcing a bunch of new privacy stuff around audio and video recording in general across all of its products. Um, talking about having a rolling deletion period of three or 18 months, I think very similar to Google's uh, the new Echo Show. Uh, has the privacy shade on it, just like the Echo Show Five. They're really aware, you know, not know about hyper aware, but they know that this is what the market wants. They, if they're gonna push and have an Echo, which you know, just like they announced, they announced an Echo for every single room, it all the way down to your bathroom and closet with the Echo Flex. And if they're gonna put cameras and microphones everywhere, they really need to get out ahead of of the privacy stuff
0: totally exactly i mean this is this is the talk of 2019 big tech and privacy uh apple apple has won the mindshare of of privacy right they've done a better job marketing their own privacy uh, superiority even as they have their own occasional
2: mishaps right they also don't have cameras they also in your cameras. house fair and nobody has a home pod So it's, it's, they have a narrower scope. That is true. Yeah.
0: Um, so that's, that's also something to consider. Uh, yeah. So the ring indoor cam, $60, it's basically a stick up cam, uh, just simpler. Um, not as many options. I don't know. It's fine. It just, it's nice to know that you can get a decent indoor camera for 60 bucks. It's still Mm -hmm. weird. I think that Amazon sells the cloud cam as a separate product and it still has blink as this like outdoor stick you know battery powered waterproof yep. camera there are 3 amazon owned camera brands now it makes that makes no sense
2: and ring is clearly the most popular one like just put everything under that brand i don't know
0: yeah i, I think eventually it will but for now i think they're maintaining separate teams all right let's talk uh amazon wearables um the the Echo Buds I think are super interesting and at yeah. $130, right like exactly the same price as the Galaxy Buds. They're even called buds. I don't think that's an accident.
2: No, I don't think it is either, although kind of just tough to come up with. I mean, they have very they have a very simple naming scheme. You know, it's it's the ring outdoor cam. Okay. What does that do? Well, it's a cam outdoors. So the echo buds are I mean just classic Amazon super uh, generic look, generic packaging, uh, generic name, but like really good features. the The audio quality is good. They're true wireless earbuds that you can use one or the other. They're independent. They have a you know five hour battery life with uh, active noise reduction from Bose that's actually really good for earbuds and it's just not something you get um, especially not something that works well at this price. Uh, You get uh, five hours of battery life with that and another three charges in the case and you of course get uh, Amazon Alexa support, um, gesture controls with um, taps on both earbuds that are fully configurable and you also get access to your native siri or google assistant on your phone as well through those taps so they don't lock you out of that so they really are just like generic bluetooth earbuds um the downside is they just again typical amazon you're kind of missing a little bit of the design nuance and the upgraded features so the case charges over micro usb which is hilarious and the case is massive uh like you wouldn't really fit it in your pocket kind of massive and that's that's a big downside because these are these things are otherwise i mean even with those downsides i think they're still like top of market at that price because they do so much but it's it's like man you got so close and maybe if this thing was 30 dollars more it would have USB C and be a smaller case and be a little bit nicer and you know, maybe they'll make those next time.
0: Honestly, the the omission of USB C makes me not even want to buy these um, or recommend them. And it them doesn't at all. have wireless charging either.
2: Yeah, it just it, that
0: that makes no sense. Like charge one fifty, you know, and 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 add
2: USB C if if that was really the issue here. Well, I mean, charge one thirty five. I mean,
1: <laughs> I love that everybody was super. Everybody was so into these on Twitter until it was micro USB, and then everybody's just like, "Yeah, f this thing, we don't need it."
2: And also, I mean, my honestly, my bigger thing is the size of the case. I I use the Galaxy Buds even with their kind of their flaws, and that the microphones aren't that good, and uh, they don't stay in your ears as well because they're so tiny. Um, but I, that case is small enough to slide in my pocket next to my wallet, and it's totally fine. This like this case is so big that you just it defeats the purpose of the portability. And this is, you know, uh, of having earbuds, you know, like if you're going to have a case that's this massive, you know, why, you know, why even bother? You're better off carrying something that can dangle around your neck or, you know, whatever, instead of of the wireless earbuds. And it's a shame because the earbuds themselves are so good. And the noise reduction is so good. It's, it's, you know, I would love to have those features in my in my Galaxy Buds, but I need the case to be portable.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I have a pair of the WF-1000XM3s, Sony's amazing noise-canceling earbuds, and I don't even like carrying those around because the case is too big, right? They're If I'm not carrying a bag, so if I'm not traveling, which I understand, right? It, it, those are meant for travel. They're noise-canceling. This, yeah. there's no reason for the case to be that large. Um, it should be top priority to make the case as small and portable as possible. Um, if Jaybird can do it, if the Jaybird can create the Vistas, which have like a 16-hour battery life, a 16 hours total battery in the case, plus six or seven on the earbuds itself, which is, like that is one of the smallest cases that I've seen. Um, Anybody can do it. It's just a matter of figuring it out.
2: Yeah, it's really weird that the the earbuds are so advanced and then the case is like three years old Yeah, uh, because the earbuds even have, they have optical sensors in them. So the music pauses when you pull out an earbud and also starts playing again when you put it back in. And like I said, it has capacitive touch on both earbuds, the noise cancellation. It's like it does everything. And even the design of them, you look at the buds and you're like, Wow, these are like $300 earbuds and then the case is like the cheapest, chintziest like throwaway plastic. It's it's very funky. Yeah. And like you said, it's charge 140, 150 for them and make these things stellar. Totally. 100%. Um mm-hmm. we'll probably get the Echo Buds Plus
0: next year or something. So.
2: <laughs> right. And I'm cool with that. You know, if you got to have the cheap one and the nice one, that's cool. But make you know, make the nice one. All right, what else do we got? Okay, other wearables that are not ready for market. They're they're launching this thing called Day One Editions, where they're they're saying, okay, we're trying new things. In this case, they're both wearables, but um, they will try new things that aren't wearables, um, and they're just going to make them invite only. Uh, and they're they're just saying the, the product's ready, but we're not sure what people are going to say about it, so we're going to put caveats out there. One is a ring, which, of course, they can't call it an echo ring because that would be confusing. Uh, (laughs) It's called the Echo Loop, and it's a smart ring that actually has two microphones and a speaker in it and a button. And you can press the button and you can ask Alexa things and then hold it up to your ear and you'll listen to the response. And you can do all the kind of things that you could do with Alexa anywhere else in terms of um, ask it questions make and receive phone calls, set reminders. But in this case, you can also do location-based reminders because it's tied to your phone and your phone has GPS. And so you can quickly pick it up, push the button and just say, you know, remind me to get whatever at whatever or when, whenever. And um, it has haptic feedback on the ring. So it will just buzz the ring and let you know that something needs to happen. The microphone and speaker actually work well which is very weird because it is so, so tiny as far as electronics go, but it's actually so, so massive as far as rings go. Um, very cool idea, and I'm sure that it's a very fun thing for the engineers to launch, but yeah, nobody's really going to buy this. It's it, The smart ring thing is um, something that hasn't caught on very well. Same thing with smart glasses. Daniel, I know that you have... Uh, opinions on Focus by North, but I really like that Samsung, Samsung, geez, my mind, Amazon didn't try to make smart glasses in the sense that everybody else is. These smart glasses have no camera, no displays. They're just glasses that have electronics in the arms with uh, finely tuned microphones and speakers, and that's it. And so you can just talk to Alexa and control things through that. It has touch controls to be able to accept and reject you know, calls and notifications. You can listen to music or it's mostly tuned for spoken word, but that's it. And that makes these, these are uh, the Echo frames. They're only $180. You know, they're, they're not expensive. It's cheaper than all the smartwatches we've been talking about. And it's just, it's very smart of Amazon to just, all right, we know how to do audio. That's kind of our thing. Uh, Let's just throw audio in a couple things and try to make some smart, you know, smart wearables.
0: I'm really curious uh, as to whether the Echo Frames work as well as Amazon says they do. Uh, It's also not nearly as ambitious as something like Focals by North, which costs. Not at all. $700. There's no screen. So initially when I heard this I I thought that the frames and the and the ring were this, were part and parcel because the like Focals. Right, because Focals use a ring as a joystick. There's a four-way joystick to control what you see in the uh kind of holographic projector on your right eye, which I think is amazing and Focals also support um You can get prescription lenses so you don't have to wear contacts or, or, you know, rely on having perfect vision or something. So it's great. Uh, They're also really chunky. I mean, these look much less chunky and much more like glasses, which is Mm -hmm. nice.
2: They're much lighter, much more even. Uh, Not having the display in the camera means it pushes more of the weight further back as well. So one thing, Hayato, is interesting. Echo frames are not
0: currently compatible with iOS smartphones because there is no screen, so it relies entirely on having a constant connection to your phone. Same with the ring. Um, it means that you know all of the Alexa um, questions, the queries are being funneled through your phone. What do you think about that? Because we know that the experience on a phone is not nearly as good as on a speaker.
1: I mean, finally, Android people get something first, right? (laughs) Ow!
0: But uh, I mean, yeah, that's 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 fair. But it it just like this. It does seem like it's kind of leaving out half of the population.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's going to be well. I want to say that's going to be a huge dent in user uh, user base potentials. But I mean, again, these aren't going to be. They're not going to have a huge adoption at the moment anyway. So I think that's, that's mostly okay. Um, obviously wider compatibility is, is preferable, but I think that's fine for something that is very niche anyway. Um, I don't, I mean, you know, I I don't see many people getting any, like any of these wearable things, at least initially. No,
2: I, especially the glasses just because there's such a big barrier there. But, The thing that I like about it, especially because Amazon is just being straight up honest about these not being full market products and they're just doing these day one edition things, is they're filling in a simpler, lower cost wearable market, whereas up to this point, all the smart rings and smart glasses have been very expensive, very high concept, high end devices. And Amazon's saying, "No, look, we can do some of this cheaper stuff too and it can you know it's just going to have a narrower scope of what it can do it's not going to try to do all of those things but it's going to be more attainable and maybe if we're lucky we can get to the point where the few things that we do try to do just in audio actually work as advertised and by being less ambitious you know you set your you
1: set your expectations low it's easier to reach them Right because how much how much do the focals by north actually cost? I know they they have that uh, pretty involved setup as far as like you go in you get um you, you get the they're like made specifically for you for each you know each set um so they they're not cheap by any means right?
0: No so they started out at $1000 and um they they lowered their costs quite quickly after um, after being released to 600 um and they have a few stores one in Toronto one in Brooklyn and then they have pop-up stores uh i think in San Francisco and a couple other places um what's really interesting though is that this week Focals launched the ability to order uh Focals like customized to your face through an iOS app so i guess it's because of the 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 um face ID uh, API allowing them to, oh, to get 3D depth mapping. Um, so you can't do that yet with any Android phones, but maybe once the Pixel comes out, it'll be uh, you'll be able to do it there too. But um, it relies on taking a bunch of photos in very specific orientations of your face, and uh, you also get to upload your your prescription through the app, and you can actually order these from anywhere in the US, which is really nice. So that really lowers the barrier but it's still $600 which is not cheap. Um I I really like my focals but I, I I will admit I don't use them very much because they're just not practical for everyday use. Um their battery lasts only a few hours. The the recharging box is massive. Um and it's just they just kind of look clunky. Yeah. So I think the second gen version will be nicer but they've done a really nice job with the experience so far.
1: Yeah, I mean using them they're they're very strange to uh to kind of get into the groove with it, but I mean it's it's pretty neat once you actually figure it out like you know get your eyes kind of adjusted to meet that little sweet spot where you see the screen. Uh it's it's pretty cool.
0: I actually had to get a second pair made because I went in uh, the first day that the stores opened back in November of twenty eighteen and I got them shipped to me earlier this year, and the experience was great. but when I got my pair and i you actually have to go in for a fitting so that they can adjust the um the the bridge and make any adjustments of the actual um the 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 frame itself. They, I just could not get the screen calibrated properly. It did not matter how it sat on my face. I just couldn't see the screen. So the second pair they sent me, I I redid the measurements and it was fine. It now looks great and and I can use it really easily. But that whole experience led me to believe that like they messed up on my measurements, even with the really, really high-tech equipment that they have inside their stores. I doubt that they're going to be able to do Uh, accurate measurements using an app with a right, you know, off the shelf iPhone. Um, I'd love to be proven wrong, but I I really doubt it. Mm -hmm. All right, Andrew, let's talk a little bit about this Amazon sidewalk, because I I think that's quite an interesting, ambitious and
2: potentially privacy disaster uh, project. Yeah. At the same time, they talked about all this privacy stuff they were like, okay, also, we're going to launch a uh, a public mesh network of devices that talk to each other across an entire city, and you don't actually have control over where that data goes or who connects to your network, which seems completely counterintuitive. So the core idea is super smart because they're trying to do all of these um sensors and low-power IoT devices around your house, but they recognize that Wi-Fi doesn't always reach out to all these places, especially if you have a larger home, a larger property, and they're talking about sensors like out literally at the sidewalk, uh, you know, sensors in your driveway or in your mailbox or in your backyard or something like that, you know, for gates and doors and all that kind of stuff, you know, separate attached or detached garages and things like that. So they're doing this thing, you plug in, or sorry, you connect to your Wi-Fi and then it rebroadcasts on 900 megahertz, I believe it is, um, and can reach out to these things and handle these um, connected but not bandwidth intensive devices. Makes sense. But the big thing that they're trying to do is that they're going to make all of these devices interoperable within themselves as a separate mesh network on 900 megahertz so if you have yours uh, broadcasting out around your house and it can go um, a couple hundred meters then your neighbor two houses down also has one and it can then repeat the signal and so on and so on and so on to where if you get thousands and thousands of these all you have to do is be within a couple hundred meters of one and you are connected to this mesh network of all of these and then you could easily see the potential of well if an entire neighborhood has these then you know you know when something happens down the street and you know yada yada there are safety considerations and you could have different sensors about movement and you know traffic and lights and all kinds of things and their example to you know throw this out there to start is this thing called fetch which is just like a tile tracker or the tracker with no e tracker r and what apple is supposedly doing with its own type of product is you have this mesh network and you have a really inexpensive little beacon that you can attach to things in this case a dog collar and you can follow it around without it having to have a distinct network connection and a battery because everything is happening on the mesh network rather than a uh, direct point to point with the, de- with the device.
0: Right. I mean, this makes a lot of sense. And if, and if a company is going to do it at scale, it'll be Amazon, right? Cause eventually if, if this is uh, rolled out to its Echo products or, Um, you know, it's Fire TV products, you could be building mesh networks in half the homes in America. Exactly. Because they have the cheapest and most ubiquitous stuff. Exactly. And everybody has Amazon products. I just find it, it's a little scary to think that, you know, one company is going to be trying to connect everybody together using a mesh network, even though there are a couple of not worry too much first amazon is going to make this an open source standard uh and they're going to release that standard at some point later um and that you know there will be other companies involved in maintaining the standard, so it's not just going to be app um, amazon trying to push it forward but as jerry points out in an editorial there's already a a competitor to this that has been picked up by companies like ibm and cisco uh it's mainly used for iot and and more enterprisey stuff, uh, so it's never been commercialized and it's never been put in any consumer products. Uh, but it still uses the 900 megahertz band. It's still kind of this is this is a, basically a consumer version of that idea. Um, I I think it has potential, but it's also it's kind of the fact that it's at Amazon makes me kind of queasy.
2: Yeah, and also we don't really know. You know how it's going to work out. We don't know what the products are going to look like or what the integration to your home network looks like. It's all very gray right now. They they announced it as an initiative, and they have some ideas about how it could work. But they're they're trying to talk to people who are going to be making products that work with this network or this style of network uh, before they're actually announcing it as a you know a product. Right, and it's it's a little bit of a wait and see there, and it's also the the typical mesh network problem of well, it has to hit a certain critical mass before you know whether it's going to work as intended.
0: Okay, a uh, couple couple other things. There's um there's a new smart oven, which is weird, but this follows the yeah. the, the microwave that had Alexa built in, um, and then there's a bunch of Amazon uh, Alexa updates, one of which. Uh, they're bringing their first celebrity voice um Samuel Jackson which is kind of cool uh the, Google did a bunch of these um with with during IO they they launched uh who who was it um oh the singer who's John the, Legend John Legend thank you and and I thought that was kind of funny uh now Amazon's getting into the same game and uh, they're launching multilingual support so in the US you'll have access to English and Spanish interchangeably in Canada, French and English. And then in India, it'll be Hindi and English. And you can talk in either of those languages and uh, Alexa will respond, which is really neat. So uh, this was a huge event and it's going to lay the stage for you know the company's massive sale during Black Friday, which obviously is is kind of crazy. Uh, we have a big write-up on, on everything that happened on Android Central. So if you're interested in learning more about what Amazon did announce this week and, and getting our impressions on the wearables, Andrew wrote a really great piece on that as well.
2: And we're obviously, you're, you're going to re you revisit each of these things individually as they roll out because typical Amazon, like they're not all going to hit at the same time. It's just going to be as soon as it's ready, it's out on, you know, a lot of these things were already up for sale or pre-order and they're just going to roll out and then, you know, you take each one yeah you know, as it gets there.
0: Yeah, I mean, none of these are launching until October. So I mean like mid to late October. So we, we have some time. Uh, Hey, you've been, you've been pretty quiet. What's, what's going on over there?
1: Uh you know, I just, I, this is all good information for me, but I, uh, spent the entire day that Amazon was announcing things, uh, cutting the OnePlus video together. So this is like, it's all new information. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, good. So I'm, I'm glad somebody's learning something.
1: Yeah. Somebody, uh, you know, it's, it's good for somebody uh, on the show to be getting new information, I guess. Well, we we, we live to teach, um,
0: and you're you're cutting video the rest of today too. So I am. Um, I, I won't keep you. I
1: live in Final Cut this week.
0: All right. I think we're gonna we're gonna end it there. It's been a it's been another marathon pod. Uh, we got some feedback last week on the new um, intro music. Thank you, everybody who sent in your um your 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 love of the new music and and we had a couple of people who uh asked to bring the old themes theme music back um and unfortunately that's not going to happen that we we have to retire it it's been around for almost 10 years it's time to move on uh we have had a couple of people also ask if we can send them that intro music they want to put it in something or use it as like a ringtone uh i will find out for you i don't know if we have uh, licensing rights to it? Ask um, the lawyers. So I'm, I'm. I'll get back to you if possible. Uh, we will definitely do that, but I I doubt it. I think we're licensing it from somebody else, and and you'll you'll have to purchase it yourself. Uh, okay. Um, other than that, this is the first week that uh, Jiggle Physics, uh, Mobile Nations, gaming focused podcast is in its own feed. Please, if you're if you're a fan of the three episodes that aired inside the ACP feed, check it out. It needs. Uh, as many subscribers as it can get as soon as possible because it is amazing and, uh, and and it really really would appreciate your support. Other than that, if you have any feedback for us, send it to podcast at androidcentral.com. We love, love, love hearing from you. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Andrew Hayato, have a great weekend.
2: You as well. Hope you have a great weekend and all the listeners. I mean, obviously. Yeah, no, no. You, no, nobody listening show (laughs) no no you'll listen to this
0: on probably sunday or monday so by the by the time you've heard this it'll already have been passed but i hope you had a great week and uh thanks for listening and we will uh, talk to you again very soon
2: bye-bye so long see ya